Welcome to Follow the Medical Record, where healthcare experts give insights into the increasing importance of following a patient's medical record through the health ecosystem with compliance, privacy, security, and efficiency front and center. This podcast is brought to you by MRO and hosted by Don Hardwick, Senior Vice President of Client Relations at MRO. Don has been in the health information management industry for over 40 years and has extensive knowledge of how medical records make their way through the healthcare ecosystem. At MRO, Don is responsible for strategic client engagement programs and overall client satisfaction. To hear from all of MRO's industry experts, be sure to visit MROCorp.com for additional content and to sign up for our monthly e-newsletter. Over to you, Don. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Follow the Medical Record. I'm your host, Don Hardwick, and thanks for listening in. You can learn more about me and my special guest today on MRO's website at MROCORP.com and can connect with me on LinkedIn. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at MROCORP. I am excited to have Rita Bowen to be speaking about the Sequoia Project and its identifying process and prioritization and collaboration on the most pressing challenges to nationwide health information sharing. As you may recall, Rita is MRO's Vice President of Privacy, Compliance, and HIM Policy. She has many years, and Rita, I'll let you say how many when you, uh, in just a minute, uh, experience in HIM space and is an industry respected author, speaker, and HIM professional. And as always, it is a pleasure to have you join the show today. Thank you, Don. Appreciate that. You are welcome. So, Rita, tell us a little bit about what the Sequoia Group is to begin with. Well, the Sequoia Project uh, and the group of members are basically, it's a membership. So you have, any organization has the opportunity to join the Sequoia Project. But the members um, that are, that participate have a unique opportunity to guide the future of, you know, interoperability, the whole interoperability community. It is basically a group of volunteers that are serving as conveners to discuss um, process uh, in form and format and also have a, a sort of a vendor neutral voice. Um, uh, Mickey uh, Tapathy, who is uh, the head of the uh, Office of the National Coordinator, was a former member of this group before he became uh, um, the um, Office of the National Coordinator um, Director, and uh, we, we do provide information there. So it's, it's an excellent group to participate in and to help shape um, strategy or a, a technical strategic roadmap for health information exchange. Um, guide uh, interoperability testing programs and assure continued alignment with the national strategy and engage in implementation at all levels across um, organizations. We have people from Cerner, we have people from EPIC, um, we have attorneys that are on, on this group and it just helps have a uh, conversation um, that's realistic, that's not actually driven by any one agenda of an individual or group. 
So how did you get involved in this uh, organization? Well, that's a good question. Uh, uh, well, number one, uh, one of the former owners of our, are still one of the owners of um, MRO um, was a member. So he had the foresight to actually join the Sequoia group uh, in its early days and had invited me to several of the meetings where I loved participating because anybody that knows me knows I like to talk and I like to interject on a strategic planning and, and the focus of especially how we use health information since I've been in it for such a long period of time. So um, when he stepped away from the group, uh, he suggested that I uh, become more active and I did and now I'm on the um, the board of directors. I serve as the treasurer for this group, and I've also served on a couple of the work groups. So the work group that I've spent the most time on is interoperability, good practices. Uh, there's been um, data usability, consumer education, um, defining what should be considered EPH PHI or the designated record set in the electronic uh, world. Um, because as you know, October 6, your system should have defined EPHI and that needs to be made available in some form or format that's agreeable to the patient, to that patient. So this specific project, if you can elaborate on this and, and how, how they will monitor compliance and so forth with the CURES Act. How is that, how is that going to be orchestrated? Well, it'll be orchestrated uh, really by two groups. The Sequoia Project will not, will not be the ones that governs compliance. We have um, the, the work group that I participated in on the Information Blocking Compliance Task Group we have created some tip sheets and what we call good practices. We, we didn't want to call them best practices because I don't know that anybody knows the best practice at this point. And those um, have been circulated at this point and I can provide you with that website so any listener can listen and, and actually obtain those to determine if um, their organization is on the correct path. So it's um, sequoiaproject.org slash backslash the Sequoia Project Information Blocking Compliance draft um, for feedback on good practices for information blocking. That's a, that's a mouthful, so we can get that to you and have it posted. But um, the compliance actually will be monitored um, basically by two factors. It would be, it depends on what type of actor you are. Um, and if you are a health provider, uh, you may not be subject to civil money penalties. That will be governed by CMS. And to my uh, understanding, they have not published, CMS has not published uh, what, how that will be reviewed and what disincentives might be uh, given to healthcare providers. Now, if you are part of a health information network or, um, a developer, you know, a developer of an EHR, um, there are civil money penalties and that could be applied to you, but that's a different group that would be governing that. That would be um, um, the information um, in the Office of National Coordinator that would be looking at that through CMS. 
So all three groups would have to work together, but to my knowledge, there has been no actions to date because there was delay uh, for information, the interoperability rule because of COVID uh, and things were pushed back. The information blocking rule basically whereby you should not block information. If you can share that information, you shouldn't be blocking it unless it meets one of eight exceptions uh, is in effect. And, and um, I know I think there's been 300 complaints to date um, that have been um, placed um, regarding information blocking. And then looking at some of those complaints, some of them are not valid because they're complaints against people who are not actors. Um, so, for example, uh, MRO, we're not an actor, so we cannot, you can't invoke information blocking against us because we're facilitating the release of that information. Interoperability means that the patient or the patient's representative can obtain that information without any manual effort. So, without special manual effort, they can go to a portal or they can go to a PC that may be set up for them to use in a facility and they can obtain the EPHI themselves without any manual effort from a uh, business partner or a vendor uh, that the facility might have. Most of the EHRs though now are, are and the facilities have an, an access or portal that uh, patients can can obtain their information pretty much 24/7 uh, availability. Um, are there are are there any penalties for a facility not providing uh, that that avenue for patients and their representative? I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, it's encouraged. Uh, there are no penalties if a, if a provider or a facility did not push information to the portal, um, it's definitely encouraged, but the portal is not mandated. But that seems to be the easiest way for patients to have direct access to their health information. What um, organizations need to be aware of is if they are giving the rights to providers to restrict the flow of information to the portal, um, is someone reviewing that restriction to see if it's appropriately met? Uh, did it meet one of the exceptions or will the facility have a policy that they'll only allow the restricted hold to hold for X number of days and then it's automatically released? So there's uh, workflows that have to be discussed and designed within each organization. Most organizations that I talk to originally started out letting the physicians, you know, determine if they wanted to restrict the flow and quickly found out that they were restricting the flow too often. So they had to either formulate a committee or create a policy that it would be automatically released at set number of days. What kind of restrictions um, uh, are applied here? Well, uh, often, you know, if a, if a diagnosis, if a physician is, you know, has a test result coming back and they know that this is a detrimental, you know, outcome for the patient and they haven't had a chance to discuss it, like maybe Huntington's disease, you know, if 
that showed up on the portal and the patient saw that and they started Googling it, which most patients would do, or, you know, they'd talk to someone and they could, they could go down a, a rabbit hole that, you know, would lead to their demise. And so they may go, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway, or they may see a diagnosis of cancer, but that may not understand that it's, that's that there's good news and bad news that there's a slow growing cancer and it's capsulated and they're going to be able to take it out through surgery and it's not going to be going out to their lymph nodes. They're not going to, it doesn't, cancer doesn't always mean death. And that's the kind of thing that many physicians like to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with their patients before they just see something and then have a reaction that's maybe unnecessary. So that's, that organization has to have those workflows worked out. Um, some, some that I know already have diagnosis that just automatically will go on hold to allow the physician X number of days to talk to the patient. Some allow the physician to classify it as the information is going over that they want it to be on hold for X number of days. So is HIM uh, the gatekeeper on monitoring uh, access and uh, these restrictions? Often they are, uh, but they may not be the sole group that's doing it. It should be a collaborative effort um, between, uh, you know, your clinical staff, your HIM staff, your IT department. You definitely need to have someone that truly understands the information governance of how information is entered into the system and where it's flowing to and how it goes out of your system. Um, so I encourage all of my HIM peers to be taking an active part in this discussion. And if they had not been actively involved to walk right on into the room and sit down at the table and say, hey, I have something to offer. Because um, health information management professionals are the unique group that truly understands how information is created, where it's being created at, and where it's go how it's going into the record and how it's flowing out and how it's being used. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was still um, at an organization as an enterprise director, um, we they implemented a new system for obstetrics. And therefore, in our neonatal unit, since they were documenting in there, we started getting denials for payment. And they came to me and they said, you must be coding something wrong. And I was like, I don't think so, but let's look at it. Uh, so we started looking at it and pulling the thread back. Well, what was happening was that the, at discharge, when the, the baby was discharged, they were letting the birth weight drop off and they were letting the weight at discharge flow over to billing. Therefore, it didn't look like they needed to be in a neonatal unit. So it needed to be the birth weight that flowed, not the discharge weight. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about from an interoperability standpoint. If you're going to have information flowing, you have to know what is the source of truth and what data point will be that source of truth and what's where it's flowing to and how it's used. Makes complete sense. Um, on the restrictions, and hospitals don't want to restrict, okay? That, that their, their objective is to provide the information uh, 
quickly and accurately to the sources that need for need that information for continuity of care or in some cases here of course the patient's own uh, personal needs, whether it's for continuation of care or just for their own uh, information purposes. Um, when hospitals are setting up those conduits for accessibility by the patients or their uh, personal representative, is the information that they're being provided, is that mostly test results or does it go beyond uh, uh, test results? Um, it goes beyond test results because if you're providing information to the patient or their personal representative based off of a patient or a patient directed request, you are pulling information from the designated record set. So that's more, it includes any, any conversation or any uh, form of uh, information that was used to make a decision about that person's health care or, or the payment of that claim. So it it's it is more it's more broader than just test results. And how will compliance of of the of accessibility and uh, interoperability how will that be how will that be monitored how will that be um, I guess for a facility to make sure that they are in compliance. How will that be orchestrated from an administrative standpoint with governing bodies? Well, like with any governing bodies for um, even for, you know, HIPAA, the basics of HIPAA, you know, it all was based off of a complaint was made. And if they, if the, uh, if, if HHS received that complaint and they felt that it was warranted investigation, they would come and investigate. As I said, you know, there's already been 300 complaints that I'm aware of uh, on information blocking, but not all of those are validated um, because some of them were complaints against people who are not actors. So you couldn't, um, you know, such like I said, MRO can't block information. We're not your EHR. Your EHR vendor is the one that has to certify that the information is flowing uh, uh, to to the portal and to allow them uh, if they're going to use other devices or an API for the patient to uh, connect to. So one of the things that I encourage when I've been talking to my peers is that, you know, I, I know we rely a lot on the portals, but to have the information um, stated on the portal, if you are looking for something that is not on, that you're not, you are specifically needing something and you do not see it via the portal through your direct access to notify you know, someone to notify the compliance officer, to notify the HIM director so they can help facilitate that. Because as long as you're helping to facilitate providing that information to the patient in the form and format that they uh, choose, um, you can avoid a complaint. But not providing an opportunity um, to reach out to someone could result in a complaint being filed. And, and this will be complaint driven. Is my understanding. So, really, if it's complaint driven, then compliance um, to the program is going to be reactive rather than monitored on a on an ongoing basis 
by some measure uh, from uh, you know a governing body out there. So a complaint would be lodged, and then there and then the facility's compliance surrounding that lack of information being provided then would be measured against how they respond to that complaint. True. Now, I think any organization has should be proactive and looking at this and 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 what I often suggest is create like a secret shopper, create someone that you, you know, that's trying to get this information and see if they can. So test it. Test it to make sure it's working. So uh, call it a secret shopper, call it however you want to call it. But um, I think that's probably one of the best ways to be proactive about it for an organization because it is going to be sort of a, a knee jerk to a complaint um, more from a federal level. And it will be imperative that, you know, if you have denied access to someone for a legitimate reason and they file a complaint, that you have good documentation to that discussion as to how you vetted it and reviewed uh, the appropriate uh, information blocking um, categories because information blocking can be approved and allowed if it meets one of those eight exceptions. So that's why the documentation of that is so important in having a group um, that is vetting it so that it's not just one person saying no. And every one of those exceptions have to be um, vetted on its own merits. In other words, you can't say, well, three weeks ago we did, did this and we said it, uh, it met this exception, so it's going to meet it now. No, each one has to be reviewed as it's being uh, applied to determine if it's applicable or not. Makes complete sense. Um, for our listeners to uh, obtain those eight exceptions, uh, can you, uh, Rita, put that up uh, on our website or have that up on our website? That might be very helpful to our listeners sure. so they can see the documentation um, and the exceptions surrounding access. We're all consumers of the, you know, healthcare environment at some stage in our life we're going to be consumers and we want to be able to have access to our records and information for various reasons as a result of that consumption of, of uh, health care uh, resources so not we're it's not um it's it's not a them it's a us um, that's true always with this and the older i get the more i start to this starts to become important to me uh rita is there anything else that our listeners um from your standpoint would benefit from that we haven't covered here the only other thing that and i will encourage uh, and we'll put this up on our website too um we are going to have a webinar shortly on just the privacy updates because with the reversal of Roe versus Wade with the Dobbs case, that has interjected some state laws preventing the flow of certain information um, uh, regarding women's reproductive um, health information. So definitely going to have to stay alert to that, uh, specifically to the state that you uh, are residing in and or if you are sharing information to a health information exchange that may cross state lines. So more to come on that um, 
because that's going to be an ever evolving uh, process as we move forward. Yeah, good point. Uh, there are things that change uh, for various reasons that Im that have a ripple effect and impact healthcare and the information surrounding uh, that care uh, that continuously uh, pop up. And this that that is one of them. Um, most definitely, that's going to have an impact. So, Rita, once again, I, I want to thank you for joining the show. I don't have any further questions here. Uh, I really do appreciate your time and carving time out of your busy schedule. And I'm sure our audience appreciates your insight. Well, one more plug. I want to just uh, uh, encourage those listeners that may be attending uh, AHIMA in Columbus, Ohio this fall. Um, I will be doing a panel discussion and opening for Q&A Q uh, with some peers on interoperability, one um, being Steve Gravely, who um, will be uh, there as an attorney to answer some of our legal questions. And I also have a representative from both Epic and Cerner joining me. So I do encourage uh, those that are able to um, join that either virtually or in person. Look forward to seeing everybody. Thank you, Rita. We really appreciate it. So in closing out today, uh, Rita hit on a couple of uh, interesting items and one other, uh, one other avenue here for you to consider is if you know someone that's looking for a great career path in a flourishing industry covering these topics and other topics that we discuss on the show, uh, please have them reach out to our website and feel free to have them contact us at MROCORP.com. Also, be sure to check us out on the program page on HealthCareNowRadio.com. Finally, don't forget to reach out on Twitter. Until we talk again, I'm your host, Don Hardwick.